serve a king that's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And we also serve a king that sits on a throne that's unshakable. Isaiah said, he, and when he saw Jesus, he's like, I see the, the throne. He's high and lifted up. There's just a, 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 just a the sweetness of the fear of God that he wants to invite us into. Not a fear that pulls back because we can't trust him, but a fear that draws close to say, oh, I have to know you more. See, the fear of God is pure and lovely and safe. Even as we sing that, that he shall reign forever, it's this, just, it's this established foundation that we can stand on to say, you're good and I'm okay. You're on the throne, Lord, and I trust you. I don't know, just for some of us, I think that's de definitely something he's doing right now, but I think for some of us in this room, where you feel like your foundation's cracked and shifting, just want to paint an accurate picture that your king who rises to show you compassion is also a just God. This truth is a foundation you can stand on and I can stand on right now. He shall reign forever and ever. We can trust him. Oh, not a distant God far off, but now a God that knows me and I can trust rings true in your heart right now, I want to invite you to just say, Lord, would you show me who you really are? It's really, it's that simple. God, would you show me who you really are? I don't, I'm, I'm scared to approach you. I'm nervous. God, I don't know why. I just feel hard, heart. Whatever it is inside, it's like, that's keeping you back. If you're willing to take a step forward, it's courageous to say, Lord, would you show me who you really are? Just show me who you really are. And in that revelation of truth, of his identity, is what we can rest on. And what we can approach everything in our life with confidence. Hebrews 4.16 says, we approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and help in my time of need. Just what do you need from him? our king who is both established and strong but is compassionate and loving and his arms are open wide so take a moment if you find yourself even sitting here kind of indifferent almost like a spectator it's okay but there's more for you promise you it's not trying harder, it's not singing louder, it's not raising your, it's not any of it, I promise you it's just, Lord, I want to know you more. It's the, it's the sacrifice of praise, Lord, I, have, I want to know you more, I don't know you like I used to. 
to ask him that. something out of here. <clears throat> okay, I'm back. Uh, that's for later. Um, hi, guys. Do we need lights on? We probably need lights on. How do we do that? <laughs> if you're wondering what Sam's doing, he's, I ask him to do that. <laughs> You're like, Sam, what are you doing, man? This is Sam's act of worship, actually. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I have one more thing I need to ask. Where's that notebook? Are these papers? There we go. Can you randomly distribute these? Thank you. Can you pass these to them? just randomly. Okay, hey, they're going to pass out some verses that we're going to look at in just a few minutes. So if you get one and you're like, I don't like reading to groups or reading out loud, just pass it to someone else next to you. It's okay, but you won't be embarrassed. But, but as you know me and as you know our young adult and career community, this is an all-play activity. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We want to seek him together. Um, we want to run after him with all of our heart. So, um, <clears throat> All right. <coughs> Well, oh, that's amazing. Don't tell the camp. I just broke their thingy. Um, we're good. Or is it ours? Oh, don't tell Drew. Close your eyes. What do I do? This thing is like, maybe. No, we're good. I won't touch it. Um, all right. Everyone good? Everyone need a snack? If you need a snack, you can go grab a snack. Totally fine. Um, Hey, uh, I, you might have seen in emails the last two weeks, and I sent out in the young adult um, like text deal with WhatsApp to bring a paper Bible. So no shame here. I'm just curious. Did any, who brought your paper Bibles? If your neighbor didn't, we're going to be digging through the Word this weekend. So please share with your neighbor, okay? Um, <coughs> okay. Um, so... You guys ready? Can you hear me back there as you're getting snacks? <laughs> okay. <laughs> they didn't even look at me. Like, the food is more important, and it's okay. Hi, Danny. Hey. Okay. Can you all listen while you're getting... That did, why did I do that? I just made a little... You can hear me on here. Okay. 
Hey, so some of you guys know our, a little bit of our story, um, but uh, that we, the lad, we've been here a year and a half-ish in Arizona and in the States. We were overseas for 14 years um, <clears throat> and uh, in Germany for two and a half and then in Portugal for 11 years and uh, did a lot of life. God gave us the privilege of sitting with pastors and missionaries from all over the world and loving on them and helping them walk more whole and free and working with teams to be healthy and all that stuff. So it's been a fun journey. And uh, I just, I was sitting here in worship and I was like, God, I'd never want to be with anyone else on the planet more than these people in this room. So I just, I'm not going to cry, but I feel like it. Thank you for being you. Thanks for letting me be a part of you. And thanks for loving Jesus where you're at and running forward with him. Thanks for living in community and not being isolated. Isolation will pick us off. It, it will. When I start to drift from, from community and not being known is the moment that the devil starts to sneak in and starts to destroy. So thank you for living in our life and less letting us live in your life. We're grateful. Um, <clears throat> so my life, been on this planet a couple years, and um, I've had some, when I look back at my timeline of my life, I've had some different seasons that were really, really hard. <clears throat> and there's one I actually wanted to share with you guys tonight um, that I haven't really, I don't know if I've shared with many people about this, um, <clears throat> but I just, I, I think it, it leads us into what I feel like God's wanting us to do um, tonight. So we, when, um, we both went to Baylor University, and yeah, sick and bears, um, <clears throat> and um, we, we, when we were dating and then engaged, Jenny was in Chicago and I was in Waco finishing up school, she was in grad school, and we were like, God, we're going to get married. Where can we go? And I'm from Alaska. She's from Houston. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to live in Houston personally, but that's okay. That's fine. Um, I'd rather live in Alaska than Houston, but that's all right. Um, there's two of you. That, no, I'm just kidding. Chris does. You love you. Yeah. You didn't cheer that loud, though, Chris. Um, um, Chicago, like, we had these options. And we're like, and, and, and I think Jenny was back at this point, and we were engaged, and we're like seeking, God, what are you saying? I remember, we, I think we said like two weeks. We're going to every day just sit before him in our time with him and ask the question. I remember writing on my journal, God, where, should, where do you want us to live? It wasn't what do you want us to do, it's where he wants us to live. Because I knew where we were going, wherever we live, we're going to do the things of God. We're going to work hard and pay off our school debt and all that stuff. And, and I remember after those two weeks, I, unmistakably, God said, stay in Waco and serve. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I, like, I, I, you guys probably have this in your life. I have this indelible, like it's seared in my brain on my journal. I remember that morning where I, I wrote, where I felt like God said, stay in Waco and serve. And I kept like tracing over the word serve a hundred times. It's like, are you sure? Waco's terrible. And it's cool if you know Magnolia now. It's, I know, it's great. I love Waco. But in the back in the day, it wasn't that great place at all. Um, so, so we just said, okay, God, we're in. Our life is yours. It's not ours. We trust you. And so we did. And I got a job as a teacher. That's what my degree was in. And she was a dietitian. Started paying off debt and just walking with God. Um, and, um, and in the process of that, we, we started leading a life group of young adults that were other peers who were just out of college. And uh, it started growing and, and multiplying. And we ended up being section leaders and overseeing a handful of life groups. And it was this amazing community of people loving Jesus and running after him. And, and um, I loved my job. We, all, we both felt called to be overseas, but we knew God had called us to stay. And we had said, God, we'll do this. Whenever you let us go, we're ready to go but our life was yours, right? 
And there was, that, there was that moment where we're like, okay, there's a shift. God's calling us overseas. So it was about eight years into graduation, I think, after we graduated um, in Waco that we were working jobs, just being faithful, leading section. We had a big house that God had told us to buy. And people thought we were crazy, but it was like obedience kind of deal. And we'd fix it up. And then single ladies would live with us. And we had this community in our house. We had a garage apartment with a couple behind. It just, it, we loved our life. Like, absolutely loved it. Um, it, it, it was talked about as like the allergy capital of the world. It was hot and humid. There was things about it that weren't hard, but we learned to find joy in the life we lived. And then God called us to leave. And I remember going, yes, I've been dreaming of this, God. We sold everything, everything. And it was just us, our little family, and our daughters, which were two years old and seven months old, and we got on a plane and went to Germany. And uh, the first six months or so of that time for my life was one of those windows that was probably the, one of the darker times of my life. Uh, it was super hard. Everything that was valuable to me, besides Jenny and Maya and Kinley, was no longer a part of my life. My family was back across the ocean. Everything was gone. We came because we were joining a team. And our team leaders are absolutely incredible. Um, and we had this dream, but I think between the dream implementation was a lot of like ambiguity. And it turned out to be really frustrating at times. Like, where are we going? What are we doing? Kind of thing. Um, so here's the darker part for me that was super hard, is we started realizing um, something in our, I'll speak for me. I started realizing something in my soul was growing um, hard towards God. Something inside of me was like, ah, why do I do what I do? Like I was outside of the community of a church that was alive. People were being saved and transformed. And it was an incredible like, place to be a part of. And then we got planted in this little place in the middle of Germany. And we're like, who are we? And why do we do what we do? It was so confusing. It's so challenging. Now, all along, we're missionaries, right? So missionaries are super Christians. Just kidding. Um, we were not. <laughs> we were human, just like all missionaries. And it was so hard for me. And I remember starting to wrestle with, why do we even get up and spend time with Jesus? We're not, our girls were not sleeping well, you know, just doing life. And it's like, this is hard to seek God. And I had no one around me that I was responsible for. And I had no one around me that was encouraging me to do this. And so it just was our little family and then our big, broader team of another couple and the family that we were involved with to some degree, but it was like super hard. And I started asking kind of these core questions in me. One of them was that, why do I do what I do? God, why do I get up and seek you? Why do I read the Bible? I, I, like, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I didn't question that. But it's all the whys of what I do. And I remember at times kind of this angst inside of going, oh, it's Jimmy's fault. He was our college, Jimmy Seibert. <laughs> He was our college pastor. It's Jimmy's fault that I'm struggling because I don't know why I do what I do. Or, you know, anyways, we all know that. Like, it's easy to point someone else's blame instead of look in the mirror and take responsibility for myself. Yeah, that was me. Um, and the other thing, and there was like four or five or six different things I really, really struggle with around this. It was that one, though, and the two that I remember was also like issues of holiness and purity. We'd interact with different missionaries or pastors, and... Some of them watch stuff, and I'm like, why are you watching that? I don't understand that. And it was kind of like, oh, it's entertaining value, or it's enjoyable, or it's that kind of thing. And so there's a slight justification that we'd interact with people. And I didn't, because we came from an environment where people were like, anything in the way, Jesus, I want to run after you. 
anything. What's holiness look like? God, I want to run after you. And these two were some of the core things I like, I don't understand why I do these things. And it was this crisis of faith, not faith of like Christ in the cross, but crisis of like, why am I doing this thing that I'm doing? And it seems like of no value anymore. And so for me, I, I, I brought in our team leader and shared with Jenny. And, um, and I just said, I, I'm not like walking away from God. I just got to have a deeper grounding. And so I didn't choose to go to the next blog and read people's opinions. I didn't go listen to the next sermon. I didn't go read a book about time with Jesus. I just said, if this is my walk with you and your word is my instruction, then that's where I'm going. And so, my, so for the next, I don't know how, several weeks, I, I asked our team leader, and I was like, part of my week was actually sitting in our guest room and just putting a question before God and saying, God, help me understand this. And I remember having this notebook, and it was like time with Jesus on the, on the top. And I remember getting the, the um, um, we had an incredible college group alive with Jesus. People were being saved, and it was, incre- it was incredible. People were discipling. It was an amazing place to go. But they had a lot of materials about time with Jesus and about the why we do we do things. And so I went and actually got some of those. And I'm like, I'm not reading people's commentary. I want to read the scripture justification for this thing. And so it was me and Jesus and the Bible. And I was living enough community that like Jenny and then our team leader, Bill and Rachel could go, Scott, you're going off the deep end, be careful. So I like, <laughs> I have people making sure they have authority to make sure I'm staying on track, right? But I just, I had to get God answers for these things. And so for the, the next month or two, I would put this before him a couple times a week for a few hours. And I just say, God, why do I spend time with you? For example, and I would write down a verse from scripture about why, people, why we walk with Jesus. What's it mean to have a relationship with him? That kind of, I'd write it down and I'd say, God, teach me what this means. And what did I start doing? I started to actually move from a place that my, what I did was grounded upon what other people were leading me in or it was this culture of, of hunger that I kind of could easily slip into to actually going, this is my walk with God and I'm gonna own this thing. I looked at holiness and purity and it's not something as a community we've talked about much, and I think we're going to go there eventually. But I just can, I can, I, I, I looked at the Bible and I said, God, what do you think about this stuff? Because something's not matching with what I see and what I experience, and what, and I have to know what your word says. So I did that for several different subjects, and I just, I, I needed him to convince me of these things. But it was confusing. It was a little bit embarrassing because I'm supposed to be a missionary and I'm supposed to question these things, right? It was hard when I'm like, I'm, I'm like we're ministering to this missionary and I'm inside, I'm like, it feels double-minded because I'm just struggling here. But it was me and God, I'm like, you gotta teach me these things, God. And there was this shift inside of me of these different, these, these six or so different subjects. There's a shift that I started to get that was biblically grounded that helped me go, oh, that's why. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to plan my night to set my alarm to go to bed at the right time because I'm going to seek first the kingdom of righteous every morning. Before my girls get up, before my wife gets up, whatever, I am going to seek God. What does it mean to seek him? Okay, holiness and like I said, a few other different subjects. It was a, fasting was another one where I said, Bible, God, teach me. 
okay? And there's a point where I was like, okay, I think I feel very grounded in these things more biblically. And so then, and then I remember there was the other big key for Jenny and I is we realized we were in a place where we were always being fed. We were in a community that was healthy, that was hungry, that was alive, we're serving, we're loving people, we're leading, we're being fed all the time. And we go overseas and we're like, it's gone. There's no one feeding me. And I realized one important thing about me in that place, there was a maturity I needed in God to grow up in. I needed to know how to feast on God, not have other people tell me, another, other people feed me the word necessarily. I want to submit under my leaders and I'll be a part of a local church and all that stuff, but it just, God, you got to teach me. So I remember the shift from like, okay, I feel more grounded in these things. And then I started, and that other thing was ringing inside of our head of like, we don't have anyone feeding us anymore. And so we started going, like Antioch's our home. We love what God was doing in the church in Waco. It was incredible. It was such a rich place. And we also, I also decided, we also started going, what, what else is God doing around the world in local churches where we see fruit being bare that bore that I want to be a part of? And we found one or two different places, and God was doing things all over the world, but one or two, they were like, their teaching, their worship, it's bearing fruit and lives being transformed. And we, we see in scripture, people's lives being transformed through Jesus, and we see it walked out in these churches. And so we started getting, wait, that, was, that was, we'd get like CDs, that was back in the day. Uh, and, but we would get the teachings, and we would listen to them over and over again, because we're like, we gotta be fed with the right stuff. Okay, so pause for a moment. Um, if you're in this room and you're feeding on things from other, and just good Christian people, but if you're looking, if, look downstream at the fruit of their life, and if the fruit of their life, we can't look at a church and go, they have a lot of people, so they're doing things right. Is that fair to say? Okay, it might be true, but it also might not be true. Numbers of people don't justify grander fruit. What's, what is grander fruit? It's what we see in the Gospels. We see in the book of Acts, walked out in local church. As we see bodies healed, we see lives restored, we see people being set free. We see people worshiping authentically and deeply. We see people not blocking the Holy Spirit of whatever he wants to do. So if you're feeding on the local podcast of a buddy that told you, I just caution you, if you don't know what the fruit's being born in their life, be careful. That's all. Just ask Holy Spirit, is this Okay. That's all. Because you know what I found in my life, and you probably have too? So often, I realize it's not my job to figure my own stuff out. It's actually my job to say, Lord, I need help. Can you help me? Yeah. And he helps me. And now he gives me something to obey and walk out. Okay? So pretty significant time in my life. And I don't know in this room if anyone else is in that same place where they just go, why do I do what I do? I'm kind of tired of doing the stuff. If you grew up in a college group that was healthy and dynamic, you probably did a lot of stuff. And if you've come out of it, what we've found at different times is people that come out of those environments sometimes start to blame the environment or the leaders for a place in their life that now they're just, they need to wrestle with God about why I do what I do and not blame other people because it doesn't work anymore. Because what happened then is where you probably were in, in a situation where you're like thriving and it's a healthy environment and you're leading and loving just like when we moved to Germany and then you move into young adults and career and you're like, what do I do? Does anyone, can anyone relate with this? Yeah, a little bit, no hands. Surely you can relate with me. Okay, yes, a few people. So it's okay. I would encourage you, 
If there's a crisis of faith, the question's inside. Make sure you go to the Word of God. Make sure you have a couple people that you trust, that you know are walking healthy walks with Jesus, that you say, I'm going to keep constant with you. And let the Word of God feed you. Don't go to the next podcast about the cool preachers. Don't start there. Start with the Word of God. Okay, is everyone good with this? Okay, so offer this to you. And I just say too, there's a... um, Um, it's okay to have questions. Can I just say that? Questions aren't bad. Questions are actually healthy. We have raised daughters who are now 16 and 17, and they have questions in life. Now, used to when they were little, and they're like, why, Daddy, do we do this? Why do that? And we're like, because. (laughs) And now I realize, actually, it's a parenting thing I regret, is that I wish I would have leaned down and just gone, let me talk to you about why we do these things why vegetables are a good idea to eat, or <laughs> whatever, you know? It's just like, that's the heart of the Father is actually when we say, God, I don't understand and I'm questioning this, he doesn't go, stop it. You don't have strong faith. You're a fool. He doesn't say those things. He goes, come near, I want to teach you. Come near, I want you to hear my heartbeat of why those things are from you. And that's how we get changed. That's how we get grounded in the next stage of our life. I actually heard a lady, um, she's actually in charge of, where's Danny? Danny knows her. Yeah, Susan Peters, she's in charge of um, Unbound globally. And um, I remember sitting down with her once, I was, I was turning, actually I was 29, turning 30, and we were on furlough. And I said, and she was one that I saw fruit in her life that I wanted. Just healthy, beautiful fruit, loving people well, all that stuff. And I sat down with her, I said, Susan, my birthday's coming up soon. What do I need to know about my 30s? I'm thinking like, she's gonna give me a book, you know, like. And she goes, one thing, every decade needs a a deeper level of brokenness. Every decade needs a deeper revelation of Jesus. She said those two things to me. And I just offer that to us. You don't have to have a decade birthday in front of you to make that choice. It can be now. Is if you're wanting a deeper foundation, if you're wanting something new, if you're like, ah, I feel like I'm just growing cold, I'm kind of drifting, maybe it's like it's time for a greater revelation. Maybe that's what it's time for. Okay. So this question of why do we do what we want to do, or why do we do what we do, I wanted us to start with it tonight because it, it, it's foundational for where we're going to go. And so what I thought we'd do is actually, and, and I think the core question for that first has to be, can we trust God with my life, with everything of my life? And so often the, the place we miss is who he really is. That's the core part of where we have to begin this. And that was me in Germany. God, I trust you and I trust your word and I'm just kind of scared of these questions I have inside. And I'm going to be honest, like I said with Jenny and with Bill, but I'm going to be honest, but I also, God, I need help here to understand. And he never once slapped me upside the head and called me stupid. I promise. But I felt the compassion and the invitation of God to come close and to teach me a new way of living. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to start here tonight with who is he? So you, those of you guys have those papers, little scripture on them? Can you hold them up? Up, up, up. Okay, great. So here's what I want to do. If you have someone around you that has one of those verses, pull in with them, get three or four people, read the verse out loud, 
and then say, what does this verse tell us about who he is? What's his character hidden in this verse? Okay? If you don't have someone around you that has that, I want you to get with someone, like two or three other people. And what I want is you to think for a minute, what's a verse in your life that is a foundational verse about the character of God that you stand on? What's a verse in your life that's a foundational? Or, or who is God to you that, that, that makes sense? Who is he to you? Okay? Sorry, if you're new to our community, I actually like us interacting. I hope you're comfortable with that. We're going to be moving around tonight a little bit, so just enjoy each other. Because this is about us walking with Jesus. So ready, set, go. If someone has a piece of paper, jump in with them. And three or four people, if you're not around them, grab someone else next to you. Take initiative. Ask the question. Character of God in Scripture that means something about who He is. Two minutes, make sure to share that verse and that character of God. Forty-seven seconds. Forty-seven seconds. 
Just kidding, 42. All right, wrap up, if you can. Yeah, pressure, ready, go. All right. Thanks, thank you. Okay. All right, you guys ready? Character of God. Okay, so who, raise your hand if you had one of those verses, the paper verses. Can you, do you feel comfortable reading it out loud? Loudly, loudly out loud. Okay, so as he reads this, listen, what, is, what does this tell us about who God is, his character, okay? So do you guys catch anything there about who he is? Oh, we can't hear it. I got a microphone that can help with that. <laughs> Up front. Okay, you guys are witness group. Help us out. What, what did you pick out there of who he is? Is this okay? It's working. Oh, it's live. Okay. Hey, you guys in his group, jump up. Just tell us one thing. I mean, God is gracious, obviously, but we talked about how he is a redeeming and intentional God. Like he knew that we were going to be, you know, sinful people and he already had a strategy to send Jesus in our place. So um, not only do he redeems, but he's an intentional God. Great. Awesome. He's an intentional God. Okay. He's gracious, I heard. He's a God of peace. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. What's another group? Another piece of paper. Um, this one's James 1.17. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of, of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Okay. So what does it tell us about who he is? He's unchangeable. He's unchangeable. Or in changing, yeah? Sounds like a song we sing. He's a gift giver. He gives good gifts. Yeah, he does. Constant. Okay. Doesn't change. A-N-T, is it A-N-T or E-N-T? Thank you. Don't judge. Stop it. Okay. He doesn't change. He's constant. Anything else? Do you want me to keep going? Near. Near. Boom. Father of lights, not darkness. Okay. Okay. That's all. Great. Awesome. Someone else. You guys get what we're doing here? Yeah. Okay, so as she reads this, help me. Because, guys, this is a core 
relational practice we got to get a hold of. When we read the word of God, we look for him in it. And if we're hungry, we'll see him in every verse we can read, most of them, or close enough. (laughs) Okay? Our verse was John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Great. Okay. Help us out. Light. Light? The lighthouse. Ooh. Okay. Light leads to life. Okay. He's a protector of darkness. Life. That's an E. Sorry. He's a what's that? Protector of darkness. Protector of darkness? Like, he oh, keeps from? it away from us. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Great. Can you guys read this back there? <laughs> it's only as effective as the idea works, and it didn't work. Oh, well. We're good. We'll, 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 we'll work with it. We'll just pass it around the table in a little bit, and everyone can read it. All right, go for it. Um, this is John fourteen six, but it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Kevin had a really good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> <laughs> way to dig deep. That was awesome. <laughs> Kevin, coming out Wait, with a deep no, theological That's just statement. what I thought we were supposed to do. So. No, you did good. Anything else in there that, you, that, it, that we heard about who he is? The Father. Yeah. He's the okay, way sorry. to the Father, okay? Sorry, he told me to say that too. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the way to the Father, okay? Let's do one more. One more. Um, Psalm 21.7 says, For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. And uh, I think the main thing that we got from this collectively is just trust, um, trusting he's trustworthy that he, uh, I don't know if that's already up there, but um, yeah, trustworthy and uh, faithful. Huh. Does that help? Okay. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. So, moral of the story for the table is Scott needs help. So, thanks for the help. <laughs> Just be honest here, folks. He's trustworthy. Anything else we picked up in that verse? I'll just turn it occasionally. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, so, if we want to walk further with Jesus, if we want to, in the time of crisis, have a foundation that's unshakable, we have to know these things. And it's not a knowing like in your head, oh, he's the way, the truth, life. Yes, 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 I get it. It's actually like, wait, you're the way? And God, I feel so lost right now. But Jesus, you're the way. Would you teach me what this means? Teach me who you really are, okay? God, you're the truth. This is my journey. This is that dark time I went through. And Jeremy, I told you about. God, you're the truth, and everything I have been doing doesn't feel very truthful, Like, the sacrifice doesn't feel worth it anymore to me, honestly. 
It was such a hard six months and a number of reasons, but this was a foundational reason. And so I said, Jesus, you're the truth, and I don't know if I believe it. Is that okay? I just said that. I hope, because all of us should be able to free to say that at times. Because it says you're the truth, and God, I struggle with this. Would you help me? Because I don't feel like things are true around me anymore. And when I started to get honest with him, he started to move closer. No, no just pause for, sorry. He lives inside me by the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave me. He never leaves me or forsake me, okay? But there's a place of hunger that God draws to that actually brings revelation, brings breakthrough, brings encounter, brings the things I need. In my hungry heart, he starts to say, oh, let me display my glory to you. Is everyone okay with that theologically? Okay, God never leaves us if we say yes to him, but our hunger draws him into a place if he wants to display his glory, okay? So within hidden in scripture, if we'll just go, God, I have to know you every time I read your word, I promise your, your, your quiet time won't be very quiet anymore. It won't be very lonely. It won't be very dry anymore. If we'll start our time with him, if we'll start our day with him and go, I have to know you today and God teach me what this means. And out of that place comes all the life we need. Okay, we tracking? Does that make sense? Okay, so let's look at one more here real quick. Uh, Revelation 19. If you have a paper Bible, feel free to turn there. Share it with your neighbor if you don't have one. But Revelation 19. These, uh, we're going, we're going to read 11 through 16, okay? These verses are a go-to for me over the years when I, my foundation feels shaky. And so I just, if I, if that's okay, I could just, I just want to bring you into a bit of this vulnerable place for me. I go here with God when I don't understand things. Okay, so we're just going to kind of read it slowly, and I'd just love to share a few thoughts from it. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me, on a white horse, whose rider was called Faithful and True. Capital letters there. That's a name. Names are attached to identity, and identity is attached to what we can do and will do. He is faithful and he is true. For me, part of my journey is my dad left when I was 11. He went on a business trip and called the family and said, hey, not coming home. That was it. So for me, my dad was unfaithful to me and to my family. And I could live life getting more and more bitter and walking farther and farther away from the reality I need healing and help because I'm gonna be strong and I don't wanna face it because it's so painful, but there are moments in my life, if you were to see my timeline, where I said, God, I don't know if I believe you're faithful. And, he, and, and, and that in that interaction, he says, Scott, because your dad was unfaithful, you think I'm not, but I'm so much better. He's faithful and true, period. And if we don't understand those things, again, I hope to hear this, go to him and ask him for help. I promise if we'll quit time and space and be honest and vulnerable with him, he will meet with us. And when he meets with us, we'll be changed. Okay? So let's keep going. Faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. That is our Jesus. He is a God of justice. And there are probably things in your life that feel super unjust. And I promise you, he's still a God of justice. This world dishes out a lot of injustice to us. 
But if in those places we'll guard our heart and not let the, the angst settle in because of something unjust we did, but instead say, wait, you're going to take care of me. Would you teach me how you're going to do that? He's actually, Jesus is a God of justice who does wage war. He protects us. Whether that is in the moment or whether it is in his healing throughout our life or whether it is in the day where he returns from the clouds to say, I am the king and I am in charge. Okay? We'll keep going. Verse, verse 12. His eyes are like burning fire. What does fire do? Purifies? What does fire do? What was funny? Was that funny? Did I say something? Did I say something funny? Burns. Fire burns. Fire burns things. Fire purifies. Yeah. What, what's that? Fire gives light. Fire gives heat. When, when you were cold and, and isolated or hurting, fire gives heat. His eyes are exactly what we need. Before we got together, there's a list of things that we sensed God was speaking for our time together. And one of the things, actually, Katie had this picture that she felt like was from the Lord. If she saw a child, put her hands on the face of Jesus and just stare at his eyes and not let go. Sometimes we got to stare at those eyes of fire, guys. And in that fire, it's unquenchable love will settle the pain in our lives. His eyes are like burning fire. On his head are many crowns. He's a God of authority. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. Verse 13, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. What's that? Okay, so here's, here's what that is. Back in the day, during like war times, back in like Jesus' time and before, that is, that is what I understand is that as a symbol of victory is the battle is won and people will take their robes and they'll dip them in the enemy's blood and they'll say, this is my symbol of my victory. Jesus' blood has stained his robes for our lives. There is nothing we can do that he can't cover. His blood is enough. His blood, it's another picture of his victorious grace. Yeah. End of 13. And his name is the word of God. That's good news. Um, the armies of heaven were following him and riding on white horses dressed in linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter. Again, he's a God of justice. He will win. He has won. He's broken the power of sin and death in our life. This is what this alludes to. And there's a day coming where he will say, I am the king. He treads the winepress of the fury of God Almighty. And on his robe, on his robe and on his thigh, um, he, has, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's an identity of Jesus. It's, I mean, there's an identity of God wrapped in these five verses that will change our life. If we'll go there and we'll go, I don't, that verse sounds weird, Jesus. What does that mean? <laughs> the robe dipped in blood. Is that kind of weird? Yes. God help me understand it. Instead of we read past it real quickly or we get some weird theological idea going on, we just say, God, I don't understand it. Can you help me understand? Okay. All right. So we why do we do what we do? We have to start with the character of God. Yeah. There are things that keep us from seeing him. So we're going to play a little game here. All right. That, that I think represents that. So I need four rep volunteers. Kevin, can you guys hold this? We got four. Come on, Luke. Yeah, come on. Now, here, here let me say this real quick. Um, we're going to play a, my version of Pin the Tail on the Donkey. So you have to be an expert Pin the Tail on the Donkey player, or you have to be one that had struggled as a child and are ready to redeem it tonight. 
Either one's fine. Okay, hold on just a second, hold on a second, just a second. I need to tell you guys something kind of weird. Just a second. <laughs> yes, this is me in my brain. I ordered a pin the tail on the donkey thing, like thing, and it didn't make it to my house. So I went last night to Party City, and I went down the aisles, the boy, have you guys been there? The boy aisle and the girl aisle, and all the party things, and there's so many fun things there. Funny, I mean, our girls are too old for these things now. But I decided since we can't, and oh, Party City had everything imaginable except for one thing. That one section where Pin the Tail and Donkey is supposed to be is empty. I'm not kidding you. I can't get Pin the Tail and Donkey, so instead we're going to do something different. We're going to give a bee sting to Baby Yoda. Okay? Now, if you love him, I'm sorry. <laughs> This is, our, this is our baby Yoda. That's right. This is our version of Pin the Tail and Donkey. And yes, I went to Hobby Lobby and I got stickers. They didn't have good stickers for like Pin the Tail and Donkey, but they did have bees. So if you love baby Yoda and think he's cute, we're not going to hurt him in this test. This is just pretend. Okay, but what they're going to do... Oh, wait, we need two more people. Come on. Someone for the back. Come on. There we go. Okay. Yay. Good. So here's what we're going to do. Everyone else that play Pin the Tail of the Donkey? You put your head on the bat, you spin around until you vomit, and then you put the mask on. No, that's not. That's a different game. Never mind. We're not going to do that either of those things. What we are going to do is we're going to give them each goggles, and we're going to give them the bee sting thing, and they're going to try to pin the bee on the baby Yoda's nose. <laughs> this doesn't go really far if it's not Pin the Tail of the Donkey, but we're going to try. Okay? So... Here's Luke, and we're going to give Luke a name. So, okay, Where, why, why are we doing this? Let me say that because that's important. There's three main areas that we have seen, Jenny and I just walking with a lot of people over the years. There's three main areas that cause us not to see God rightly. So this is kind of a silly way of us. I want us to be able to see, to be able to say, why, why do we do what we do? The character of God is our, is our starting place, but there's things in our lives at times that can keep us from seeing rightly, okay? So the first one we're going to give Luke is diligent, okay? Yeah. So Luke's glasses, so Luke, Luke's a diligent man. So he, um, Luke's glasses are work glasses. Now, if you're thinking this is a professional paint job, it is. I spray painted these. That's right. So... These glasses are a little spray painted, so it's not going to be super easy for Luke to do the project we're about to do, because Luke is a diligent man. So diligence is a good word and a bad word. Do you remember when Jesus actually spoke to the Pharisees and he said, you diligently seek the word of God, yet you miss me? You guys remember that verse? If you don't, it's a wonderful one. We find the heart of God inside to say, find me in the word. So Luke would be one of those that says, I know the word. I love theology. I show up to life group on time. I worship up front. I do all the stuff. I'm diligent. But all along, sometimes that diligence is actually self-initiated and self-driven. And we live more like a Pharisee instead of like a disciple. We diligently do the things of God, but all along we missed who he is. So this is, you can just hold these for me. You don't have to wear them yet. They're a little sticky too, by the way, sorry. Okay. Ready? Okay. So Colleen is carefree, which is a wonderful characteristic to have, right? So Colleen's like, 
man, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm doing my deal. I'll do whatever job he says. I'll do it wherever I want to live. Whatever friends I have, I'm doing my deal. I'm carefree. But if you get deeper inside of Colleen and that carefreeness, you actually realize she's her own God. She actually hasn't potentially read through Romans 8, for example, or most of Romans to go, wait, I'm actually dead and it's Christ who lives in me. And so the choices I make are out of faith and out of obedience. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So Colleen is more one of the carefree types that actually down deep inside, she doesn't quite understand how, what it means to seek first the kingdom of righteousness because my life is my own. And ultimately, down, down below, if we look at our board, it's because carefreeness doesn't really trust God to entrust our life to him, okay? So the other thing that uh, it, I, um, I made these goggles. <laughs> so I ordered amazing, they're like, what's that, what's that kind of, that style of steampunk? Yeah. It's like that kind of cool looking, but they had these kaleidoscope glasses in them and they didn't show up to my house in time. So I made these. These actually, if you want to buy a pair of um, these minion glasses, now these are one of a kind. You can't have these, but the, the frame of them you could buy actually at Party City as well for like six bucks. Yeah, Party, this is actually a plug. They're sponsoring. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so these are Colleen's. So Colleen's got a little bit of self-protection going on, and she looks good on the outside because life's about looking good and being carefree. And she's got on the, right on the inside of those jewels is actually some like glittery, shiny stuff. What I did to help her a little bit is I poked some pinholes in here. Okay, so she can probably see that in a moment, but she's got to tilt her head and get the right view to get God and what he wants for us. So carefree, there's your goggles, okay? This one is judgment, self-protection, and unforgiveness. Judgment, self-protection, and unforgiveness. This is the one that shows up at church and actually critiques what the pastor says the whole time. Sorry. <laughs> Love you. Sorry. We're, we're all at fault. I just want to say that. Just let's, let's all get before Jesus on that one, okay? Instead, if we pray for our leaders and we bless our leaders, okay? I do it with joy because I've had to walk that journey many times in my life, okay? So unforgiveness, judgment, and self-protection is like a shield in our life that just says, you've hurt me enough that I can't trust you either, You've done this to me enough. I've read the blogs about those pastors, so I can't trust pastors. I can't trust if, if we'll, we'll stay on the church theme. I can't trust if the pastor has a sermon and there's only a few verses. I have to have certain verses in order to do it. That's called self-protection. If we're so picky on the word of God that's being given to us that we can't feast on it, it's our fault. We gotta be hungry. And hungry is the word of God is living and active. And so if someone brings it to me, I'm going to eat it. Okay? So self-protection, judgment, and unforgiveness. There you go. These don't actually qualify you guys like who you really are. All right. And this last one, this last one. Oh, this is good for Hunter. Oh, yes. This... <laughs> Anyways, wait, can I, can, I, can I tell you all a funny story? We, uh, yeah, sorry. It's okay. Um, <laughs> anyways, never mind. Um, 
This is a protective shield that is kind of not see-throughable, right? There's a film on top of self-protection. There's a film on the inside of judgment. And there's little tabs on the side that we could take those off and she could see in a second and have no problems. But because of those things in her life, she can't actually see rightly. She could tilt her head and she might try that. I don't know. I'm not giving any boundaries. You could cheat if you want. But, you know, there's ways. There's ways around self-protection and judgment that looks really good. But in the end, if we're really honest and we look in the mirror before God and we say, Lord, where am I at with this stuff? Are we, are we trusting him enough to say, hey, that's actually a problem. And then hear our father say, can I teach you to live a different way? Okay. For the years, we were 14 years we were overseas, we did actually a lot of counseling and inner healing and work with people. I had counsel- mentors that were counselors for 20, 30 years that spoke into our lives and helped train us and all this stuff. So we kind of, anyways, we weren't a full therapist, but we <laughs> practiced overseas without a license to some degree. Um, anyways, you know what I found over years and years of doing that? Unforgiveness is one of the keys to people getting free or staying bound up. Unforgiveness. I'm not kidding. And it's like, whatever was done to you, there's a place through the cross that forgiveness actually sets me free. Okay? So there's yours. And lastly, Hunter, this is so true of who you are, man. He is freedom. Okay? He is, who the sun sets free is free indeed. So Hunter's done the work in the secret place before God. He lives in a community that he says, speak into my life. I want you to know me. And from that, Hunter lives a place of freedom. So Hunter doesn't even have any goggles on. Yeah, so that's where you're at the end of the line, dude. Sorry, because you're going to win. Um, okay, so you guys ready to see how they do? Yeah. All right. You're, what's that? Well, I don't, yeah, sure. When they poke it, though, it'll like not stick. Okay, so we should do that. Is anyone taking pictures of this? Because this is going to be amazing. Oh, no. Here, put your, put your goggles on real quick. You're just free, man. Stay free. All right, they need pictures. Here, come here. Can someone take a picture of that? Because that's awesome. There you go. All right. So Luke is diligent. So Luke, here's your little bee. And let me stand you over here because okay. you can't see. But you look good. You got gold on your glasses. So if you just kind of go, kind of go... And sit on David's lap. No, I'm just kidding. Don't sit there. Just go straight and you're going to find Baby Yoda. So you notice diligence? He can walk in a straight line, right? He can keep going forward. He's diligent enough that he could look good on the outside. He can do the right things. Ooh, he's calculative. <laughs> can you see? How did you do that? You got to, what? Math. Math. <laughs> nice. Diligence. Diligence. All right. Awesome. Okay. You ready? Yeah, you got it on his forehead. You can check it out. There's yours. Here, come here. You're good. I won't run you into anyone. Do you trust me, Colleen? Let's spin around five times. No, I'm just kidding. Let's do that. Okay. You can walk straight. Baby Yoda awaits your sting. Yeah, she's got this. Can you see through the holes? A little bit. A little bit? Yeah, there you go. So did you guys notice Colleen? Actually, when she got close, she leaned in. 
when we actually get into that deeper place of where we are, and that carefreeness is actually a lack of trust of God, it's we keep God at an arm's length. But if we'll just take the glasses off and take the identity off, sometimes we wear that label because it fits, we feel like it fits us better. Because if we don't live carefree, then we're going to be controlled. But if we actually live submitted to God, we actually can live more alive and more free than ever. Okay, good job. You did good. You got the nose? Okay, ready? No. No, she said no. <laughs> Come this way. <laughs> keep going, keep going. All right, there's Baby Yoda. He awaits you. <laughs> he awaits you. <laughs> So she can see this, but it's kind of hazy. That's what judgment and unforgiveness is like. Oh, oh she, she, she's learning from other people. No. Oh. Hey, he got his mouth. That's great. Awesome. All right, Hunter, this, this sticker is be all you can be. All right, so you can go stand by David and show us how it goes. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, Hunter, you got this. There we go. Yeah. Good job. Way to go, guys. Okay, thank you. Do we get to keep the signs? If you want to keep the signs, you're welcome to. Um, we'll be donating Baby Yoda to the highest bidder on Monday morning. Just kidding. Um, okay, do you guys get the point of this? Yeah. Okay, I, I wanted us to, don't break. I wanted to do that because I want us to see visually how those things affect us. Unforgiveness and, and <clears throat> judgments are a huge part of keeping us back. That carefreeness, the lack of, God, I trust you with my life, and if I don't, I need help to learn to trust you, is so destructive. And it's veiled in this kind of phlegmatism, is that a word? Phlegmatic living? No, is that a word? Phlegmatic, is that the word? Ah, okay. It's veiled in this, hey, I just kind of float through life. I'll do it when I want to do it. Now, I understand some of you are a different generation than me, and that's more characteristic of your generation, but I'm not talking about generational differences. I'm talking about children of God. What do disciples do? How do they walk with him? They follow him, okay? All right. Um, so, there's a wrong way, as we just looked at, of actually learning who he is. So we learn why we do what we do. There's also a right way that's beautiful. And what I want to do real quick, is everyone okay? We need to stand up. Everyone stand up for just a second. Stand up, stretch, stretch, stretch. And I'll get my paper. Stretch. All right. Good job. <coughs> okay. Hey, we're, we're awesome. You guys can grab a seat. We're going to just, just a few more, well, a little bit more minutes. What my hope is, listen, as we talk about this, is I hope that for you and I, even as we talk, there's like, oh, God, I need help here. Oh, God, I need breakthrough here. That's my hope. This isn't, so this isn't about just me talking, because that's no fun. But if this is about me bringing, hopefully, the word of the Lord, and we're like, God, what are you saying for me? I have to have this from you, okay? So what I did is I actually took um, 
So the book of Mark, so the gospel is the first, the first books of the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I took the book of Mark, and it actually has 16 chapters. And I went through the first eight chapters, because if we did 16, we'd be here a long time. First eight chapters, and I wrote down sentence fragments of ways when people saw Jesus, how they responded to him. And I want us to read through that together. Do we, do we have that side? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Okay, so, so buckle your seatbelts. This is a bunch of scripture really quickly. When, when, here's what I want to ask. When I read this, you and I, we go, God, I want to respond to you that way. These are people who saw God r- rightly by looking at Jesus, and this is how they responded to him. If we saw him for who he really was, I bet we'd respond this way more. Okay? So first one is, You guys ready? Here we go. Okay, first one is chapter 1, verse 18. At once they left their nets and followed him. At once when they saw him, they left their nets and they followed him. Okay? 120. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. 122. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. That actually is the teachers of the law. 127. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is, this new t- what, is the- what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about Jesus spread quickly all over the region of Galilee. 132. That evening, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed and the whole town gathered. 137. The disciples said, everyone is looking for you. 145, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Chapter 2, verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. We've been a part of a lot of life groups in our life. This has never been the story, and I wish it was. What if that was your aim in your life group? We're going to try to live out Mark 2, 2. They gathered in such a large number that there was no room left in the, in the house, and so people went outside to hear him and see him. 2.12. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. A large, cra- a large c- crowd from Galilee followed, and when they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him. 3.10. He healed many so that those who had diseases were, were, uh, were pushing forward to touch him. Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat and sat in it out on the lake. 4.41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 5.6. And when he saw, Je- he saw Jesus at a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. 5, 22 and 23. Then one synagogue leader named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. That may never be our story, but is there anything in your life that you're so desperate for him to set you free from that you're willing to go and throw yourself at his feet and not let go until he says, okay, it's done. A large, large crowd followed and pressed around him. Four, or 5.42. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk, walk around. She was 12 years old. 
And at this, they were completely astonished. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 642, they ate and were satisfied. That's good news. 651, and when he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down, they were completely amazed. Three more here. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. And he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The people ate and were satisfied. And the last one, 822, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought the blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. What I, what I want to invite us into is a desperation that's different than what we know. A desperation that actually says, if, if God, if you don't help me in this relationship, if you don't help me in my understanding of who you are, if you don't help me in this area, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe for some of us, we got those cool glasses on and we're like, yeah, I like to be carefree. It's kind of my vibe. But inside, your heart is so afraid of him. Can I really trust him? I promise if we'll just trust him and take a step towards him, that's the deal with God. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just got to step towards him. It's, and then it's done. Okay, A.W. Tozer says this. You got that up there? Listen to this. This is amazing. Come near to the holy man or woman of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire for God. They're mourning for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they found him, Jesus, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. And he goes on to say complacency is a deadly foe for spiritual growth. Right? Let it be said of you and I that people come close to us and they go, there's fire in you. And I promise it's not about acting right. It's not about heaping more scripture in your memory well. It's actually starting first with saying, God, I have to know you. I have to be free. And out of that, we say, now, God, what do I do? And he might go, hey, a season of memorizing the word, let's do it. Or he might say, I want you to worship more. He might say, I want you to serve. I don't know, but the first place is to him. It's to him, okay? So what I want us to do here as we, as we try to take a little time to respond is I want to just out through three different ways that, that we see in scripture, these stories that may or may not be familiar to you, that actually is a ways where people actually responded with this reality of, this is who you are, and I don't know you this way. And so I'm going to respond this way, okay? This one comes out of, um, out of Mark 4, and it actually happens throughout the Gospels. Many times, Jesus tells a parable or heals someone or does something that the disciples don't understand, and then you'll see the disciples go, Jesus, can we talk? And they go, why did you just do that? I don't understand what you just said. I don't understand why you didn't do that. I don't understand this. And Jesus never said, oh, you guys are crazy. He actually said, hey, let me explain to you. And that's what this one is for. Mark 4 is actually this, this set of scriptures that talk about where Jesus, where they pull him aside and they say, Jesus, I don't understand. So it's possible tonight 
for you and I that you're like, that's, that's your deepest desire inside is I need understanding about a situation, about his character, about why you do what you do. I need understanding. And I promise if in a moment, if you'll actually take time and go, God, I need to understand this before him. I promise he'll meet with you. He always will. The second one we want to look at real quick is renewed hope. There's a story of this lady that's in, it's in Mark 5. And it's this lady where she's, she's, she's you probably might be familiar with this. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. She's had this issue of bleeding for years. And it says she spent all her money to pay for this. And she can't figure it out. She's still struggling. And she hears walking through her city crowds of people. And somehow she knows Jesus is in the middle somewhere. And somehow... She knows that that Jesus is her answer. See, if you're familiar with culture at the time, she's a woman and she's bleeding, and those two those two things don't go together. You can't be around people. It's 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 one of those moments in life where there is deep rejection for the woman that has an issue of bleeding. She was impure, but this woman didn't care what people thought. She didn't care what people thought. She didn't care what people said. And the Bible says she pushes through the crowd and she reaches out and she touches him. She's like, if I could just touch his garment, like I don't have to have him look at me. And when he did, if you're familiar with the story, he turns and he's like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, there's people everywhere around. And Jesus said, no, no, someone touched me. And the implication is there, that lady has something. She needs something from me that you guys don't need. There's a desperation in her that I don't experience with people around me right here in this moment. For some reason, she reaches out and touches him. In that moment, she's instantly healed. And she says, I'm the one that touched you. And this is what she says. Jesus looked at her and said, daughter, your faith has healed you. What's faith? Faith is a blind trust in a God that I want to know better. Hebrews says it's the substance of things not yet seen. Faith is, I'm in, I love who you, I want to know who you are, okay? And then he said, go in peace and be, be freed from your suffering. So maybe tonight you're like, I need hope of this area in my life. Understanding, hope. And this last one I think is also really important is desperation. Um, in Mark 10, there's, there's another story of Jesus walking through this town. And this time he's not around buildings. He's in walking down a road. And there's people on the side of the road and he's just doing his deal. He's walking, there's people all around him. And all of a sudden this blind guy whose senses are so attuned to what he hears because he can't see, he starts hearing people walk by and he's like, who's coming by? What's different about this moment? Someone goes, it's Jesus. And this guy's name is Bartimaeus. And it says, he goes, son of David, have mercy on me. And he cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. And he kept crying out. People were like, be quiet. You're blind. You're dirty. You're no good. He doesn't want to talk to you. And he kept crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. There's this desperation that's rising inside of this man's life. Why? Because he actually was so in tune with his need that he actually wanted to get what he could get. You guys understand that? He, was, he, he knew he needed a savior. And I'm not talking about salvation in this moment. I'm actually talking practically about all of us in this room. What is it in your life that like, God, I have to know you. I have to have an answer here. I have to change. I have to be free. 
if we can be like Bartimaeus and just cry out for him, I think he's going to respond to us. So Jesus, as the story goes, called him close. And he said, what do you need? And he said, I just want to see. And this is what he said. He said, go, your faith has healed you. That sounds familiar. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Okay. So we're going to take a little time to worship. And I, this is what I want to ask. What is it in your life that either needs understanding or needs hope, or you just need to be deeper in touch of your need for him? Okay. I, I've lived more life than I've lived longer in this planet than any of you guys in this room. 47 years old. Is that right? Well, except sorry, <laughs> except for one person in the room, I won't mention her name. Um, slightly younger than her. Um, I, I can promise you, my life now in God is more desperate and hungry than it's ever been in my life. Because I'm more aware of my need for Him than ever. My need for him to be a good husband, a good dad, a good pastor, a good anything that's been put before me. I have to have him. And even as I talk about this, what resounds in me is this desperation because I feel it so much. The weakness of my own humanity. But you know what? I don't go towards insecurity anymore. I actually go towards my king. And I so often get on my face and just say, Lord, meet with me here. I don't know what to do. Good with this? Okay, so I want to invite us to stand. And there is room in this room for you to get where you need to be so you're not distracted. So, general church experiences, I stay in my seat and in my aisle. And in some ways, that can be super distracting or isolating. So, what do you need to do? We brought the, we brought the abide rug <laughs> so we can get in our face. There, this rug, actually, I was talking to someone a while back, and they're like, man, I have soaked that rug with tears before God. And I was like, you're the reason this smells. No, I didn't say that. Uh, actually, I did, but it was a joke. But this rug has been, there are people that have come in, probably in this room, there are people that actually have been on their face before God and wept, longing for Him to break through in their life. And I just say, let's do it again. Just spread out, make room. But if you find yourself going, oh, I'm just kind of distant, I'm singing the song, it actually is a choice of will to say I'm choosing to come towards you. Okay? So Holy Spirit, we trust you. We love you. And we just ask what's been prayed countless times over the years, that have been prayed for by David, is, is, is God, would you search us and know us? see if there's any unclean way in us and lead us in the way everlasting God we need your help we need you to be the God that we, we, we that's actually what we need meet with us right now God and help us to respond wholeheartedly to you